Prayer is not just a helpful exercise for believers. Persistent, humble, faith-filled prayer is a reflection of your relationship with the Lord. It's a necessity for everyone who seeks to follow Jesus faithfully. Welcome to The Wisdom Journey. Stephen Davy developed this program to help you know what the Bible says, understand what it means, and apply it to your life. This journey is taking you through the entire Bible, and today we're in Luke 18. I've never met a Christian who wouldn't agree that prayer is extremely important. And at the same time, just about every Christian that I've talked to struggles in this matter of prayer. It's easy for us to be satisfied, as it were, with he may be offering a prayer at mealtime, maybe a brief prayer before retiring at night, we might we might pray during rush hour that that slowpoke in front of us gets out of the way. In fact, one church surveyed their members and asked them if they wanted the weekly prayer meeting to continue. And almost 100% of them responded with absolutely yes. Yet less than 20% of them ever showed up for the prayer meeting. Well, it's pretty obvious as we study the life of Christ that Jesus understood the importance of prayer, and his words and his example proved that. Jesus loved to talk to his Father in prayer. Now, what happens next here in our study through the Gospels is a, is a rather important lesson on prayer as Jesus delivers now two parables on that subject. Now, we're in chapter 18 of Luke's Gospel And we read here as the chapter opens that Jesus told a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, that ought to grab your attention. Jesus is about to teach them and us how to live without losing heart. Now, the first parable begins at verse 2. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, let me tell you this. This widow has several things against her. She's been uh, mistreated in some way, which is why she's seeking justice. As a widow, she doesn't have a husband to represent her. And in these days, a woman wasn't even allowed to present evidence in a court of law anyway. Furthermore, it's, it's likely that that she has very little influence here and even less money to mount a case. And and now to top it all off, Jesus just described the judge as a crooked judge. He neither feared God nor respected mankind. Now, it would seem that this woman doesn't stand a chance. But Jesus describes this widow as one little persistent woman. She comes to the judge over and over again, asking for justice and relief. Now, the problem is he doesn't let her in the office, he doesn't answer his door, and he doesn't pick up the phone. He ignores her. He he avoids her at all costs. But she just (laughs) won't let up. And finally, finally, the judge gives in just to get this woman off his back and out of his courtroom. Well, now with that, the Lord says here in verse 6, 
Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now, listen, beloved. Jesus is not using this crooked judge as a picture of our Heavenly Father. Jesus isn't giving us a comparison. He's giving us a contrast between that crooked judge and our Heavenly Father. God doesn't have to be badgered with your prayers until he gets so annoyed with you that he gives you whatever you want to get you off his back. See, the point of this parable is that our Heavenly Father is so unlike this crooked judge that he is always available. He is always respectful. He will always do what is absolutely right and just. In fact, Jesus says here in verse 8, he will give justice to them speedily. So here's the point. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Keep praying especially for God's kingdom of righteousness to come. It may be yet some time before that occurs. When it does, we're all going to say, you know, it seemed like it was taking forever. But now here we are in the kingdom in that future day, and we're going to say, wow, where'd the time go? And all along the way, we'll be able to see that God was at work in our lives for good. Now, this parable is followed up by a question that's directly related to the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus uh, arrives in that future day, he comes back to establish his kingdom on earth. Jesus says here in verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Literally, he's saying, Will he find thee faith when he comes back? Will there be people believing in him? And the answer is absolutely yes. You see, even after the church is raptured and the tribulation period begins, millions of people over the next seven years from every tongue, tribe, and nation, the book of Revelation records, are going to place their faith in Christ. It's going to be a worldwide revival, so to speak, even though they're suffering through these dark days of judgment. Now, what will they need to do to survive those discouraging days of the tribulation? How will they not lose heart? Well, through persistent prayer as they await the second coming of Christ, just as you and I wait for the rapture of the church today. Now, keep this in mind. While the first parable is addressed to Jesus' disciples, he's now going to give a second parable that's directed to self-righteous unbelievers, those who are trusting in themselves, uh, assuming that they're living a good enough life to be right with God. Well, Jesus presents another contrast here, and this time it's between two men. And these two men are both praying in the temple. Jesus says here in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, as far as the Jewish people are are concerned, in general, tax collectors had no right to pray at all. (laughs) They were the the big sinners of the day, the scum of the earth. They, They had collaborated with the Romans to take advantage of their own Jewish people to tax them. They purchased that right from the Roman government to tax their fellow Jews, and then they they would raise the, the tax amount above what Rome required, 
and then these tax collectors could line their own pockets. So, so what's a tax collector doing praying in the temple? He doesn't belong in there. The other man is a Pharisee. Well, that's an upstanding, moral, religious leader in the community as far as the people are concerned. The Pharisee has every right to pray to God. He ought to have his little niche in the temple just for him. They assumed that if a tax collector prayed, you know, God would be holding his nose. But if a Pharisee prayed, God would be opening his arms. And so the Pharisee's praying here in verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Let me tell you something. This isn't a prayer meeting. This is a brag session. He's patting himself on the back. He's saying, Lord, look at how lucky you are to have somebody like me on your side. This Pharisee's prayer is really the the reading of his spiritual resume, his religious resume, his long list of good works. Well, now Jesus uh, lets us listen in on the tax collector who prays, and it's a much shorter prayer. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now he's not comparing himself to that Pharisee over there. He's comparing himself to the holiness of God. The Pharisee is bragging. The tax collector is begging God be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, my friend, only when you've left your spiritual resume behind and recognize that you have nothing to offer a holy God, only when you, when you come to him that way can you receive salvation as his gift of grace to you. Jesus says here in verse 14, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector, well, he went down to his house justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. It's actually a legal term for that judge declaring you innocent and wrapping his gavel on the desk saying, case closed. See, the Pharisee tried to justify himself before God. The tax collector was justified by God himself. Let me tell you, you can't trust in yourself and trust in God at the same time. But when you trust in God alone, you experience justification, forgiveness, a right standing with God. Now, Both of these parables here are about prayer, but they're about uh, more than just prayer. You see, your prayers reflect your attitude, your relationship with the Lord. Do you want to lose heart in life? Well, then focus on yourself. Pray in a way that attempts to cover up your sin. Pray in a way that tries to impress other people, Maybe maybe even try to impress God. Do you want to live in such a way that you do not lose heart? Well, then pray honestly, transparently, uh, persistently, 
humbly as you trust in God alone. Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Stephen called this lesson, How to Keep from Losing Heart. I hope it helped you today. If you'd like to know more about Stephen and this wisdom journey through the Bible, visit our website. You'll find us at wisdomonline.org. You can go back and listen to all the previous lessons of this wisdom journey or watch the video version of each lesson. Visit there today Then join us next time to continue your wisdom journey.